0: beginning a new book, Ezra. We finished Second Chronicles last time. Um, but not just a new book, we're kind of beginning, we're going into a new section, if you would. And I didn't look it up I, a couple of times today. I set out to do it and then I forgot and I didn't. But going all the way back to 1 Samuel was the last time we kind of got into if you would a new section 1st and 2nd Samuel 1st and 2nd Kings 1st and 2nd Chronicles we've been looking at the period of the kings in the history of Israel and that's probably been a couple of years we've been looking at that and just thinking through that it's been about 5 years ago we began our journey through the old testament together verse by verse when we started with Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 and as we've studied through that, and that's if you're new to Wednesday nights, that's what we do. We're going through the, the Old Testament verse by verse. And as we've studied through that, we began at the very beginning. God, and I make no apologies for it. How many of you were here last week? And how many of you were blessed by that message, by Pastor Marks? I mean, that, um, I'm talking again about, we make no apologies for the Word of God. It's roughly 6,000 years ago, God said, let there be light. We don't have to add billions of years. We don't have to do anything. It all makes perfect sense, and it's all explained. If you missed last week's message, I encourage you to go online and watch that. It was extremely well done. But, Roughly 6,000, approximately 6,000 years ago, God said, let there be light, creation. And as we move through Genesis, we see, the, you know, man, the fall, and then we get, you know, the flood, and then the, the children of Israel, beginning with the first one, Abraham, and then Isaac, and, and, and Jacob, and then Joseph and his brothers, going to Egypt, there for 400 years, and then become slaves, and they grow from 70 persons to... to Millions. And then Moses leads them out of Egypt and, and through, the, uh, through the desert, the wilderness to the promised land, then, then he passes off Joshua as they, they move through the land. they get their individual tribes or individual areas. We go through the period of the king or the, the judges then, and then the, after the judges, the people of Israel said, "We want to be like everybody else, we want a king." God told Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Give them a king. The first one, Saul. And then he said, a man, after my own heart, David, Solomon, we're moving really fast over the last five years. Um, Solomon, but after Solomon's reign, then we talked, the, the kingdom split, if you'll remember. The northern tribes, then Jeroboam, the first king of the northern ten tribes of Israel. Southern two tribes, Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. And they, w- they went on from there, the history of the kings, northern tribes, southern tribes. Northern tribes never had a king that followed after God. And in 722 BC, God brought the Assyrians in to take the, the northern ten tribes away into captivity. The, nor- the southern tribes, the southern two tribes, Judah, Benjamin, called Judah, they had a, kind of a, a mix-match of good kings and bad kings Uh, And we saw that last time as we finished up 2 Chronicles, that they then carried away into captivity, the Babylonian captivity. And we saw that that took place in three parts, if you would, in 605 B.C. That first deportation went out and that had with it Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, better known by most as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, Those those four were part of that first deportation, and just as I again kind of thinking through the history of this, we're kind of it's not in chronological order the Old Testament that we go through because what we're going to start tonight this next section Ezra Nehemiah Esther, um, and we'll talk about this again in just a minute. But this is the last history piece of the Old Testament. Then there will be a 400 year period of silence, and then the New, period, the new Testament begins. Yet we have a whole lot, if you would, of the Old Testament still to go. Um, and we moved, into, we moved then into the poetic literature and then the, the prophets and that from there. It's not, not uh, chronological. I was thinking it would be kind of nice, maybe next time after we go through the Old Testament, we could do it chronologically and kind of work through it that way. Although it's taken us five years to get this far, so we're still a little ways off from starting over again. But in this deportation, these four are amongst the thousands, tens of thousands that are carried away in the first deportation to Babylon. And it got me me thinking just a little bit. I don't want to camp too much on this because we want to keep moving through. But... We, if you read, I gave that as a challenge to anybody who wanted to kind of read Daniel, because that takes place in this time period between Second Chronicles and Ezra that we're going to look at tonight. And we see that when those four, amongst others, but those four specifically, when they were taken there into captivity... Right away in chapter 1, they were met with this challenge to turn away from, from the true and living God, to follow after the ways of their new captors. But they, they did not. They refused to. And God blessed that and obviously used Daniel and you know the stories probably from childhood, the, the rest of those. But the question that came to me was, are you ready? What if something dramatic happened like that? And we think, well, nothing like that could happen in America. Not now. I mean, it, it, we'd have to, ha- we, it would, we'd have to, It would maybe 50, 60 years from now. Not now. Well, that's what the, that's what the, the children of Israel thought. I mean, we see that in their defiance towards their enemies. They thought, man, we're, we're children of God. Knowing, not, not, realizing again that they had turned away from God a long time ago. God said, honoring me with your lips, but not with your heart. And, I guess it just challenged me. I want to give that challenge to you. Are you ready? Would you be able to stand up to that? Don't, don't wait until tomorrow and say, well, you know, I'll worry about that when it comes. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego were able to stand up to that and, and honor God with every moment as, we, as you read through the account in Daniel because they were ready, because they loved the Lord, because they had made that determination earlier on in their life that I will follow God not waiting until that moment of crisis and saying okay well now I'll just flip that switch well as i mentioned that, that first that first deportation goes through then the king of israel or the king of judah rebels against the king then of ne, is nebuchadnezzar from babylon had taken over for his father after his father nabopolassar had died we've discussed this in the past few weeks he comes back and takes away a whole other group of them in a, the second deportation that takes place in 597 B.C. And then they rebel again against him. He comes back, takes the remainder of them in 586 B.C. But at that time, he levels Jerusalem. The, the temple is leveled. They, he, just, he, tells the, he tells the army, I'm done with these people. Wipe it out. Bring, bring, bring most of them back. Wipe out the rest. I'm done dealing with it. So we see then, as we can just quickly run through Daniel, in Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar becomes very proud as he's looking out over all of the things, everything that Babylon has become. And and there was a lot to be proud of in a personal looking at it. Babylon in itself, the city, was an amazing city. Historians tell us, Extra biblical, biblical historians tell us the walls were 300 feet high, 50 feet wide, and were 14 miles long, and completely encompassing the city. And I think we have a, a picture, just again, an artist's rendition of possibly what this could have looked like. Again, imagine this city. Fit 300 feet high, the walls, 50 feet wide. They said that chariots too wide with four horses each could have two lanes going each way across that and have no problem. There was a road that went all the way around the top of this wall. Now, one of the things that Nebuchadnezzar did was he rerouted the, the Euphrates River to run right through the middle of the city. So dammed up, filled up the old Euphrates River and rerouted it through and then built the wall then over it. So it was impassable. It was impenetrable. You couldn't sail through it. The wall was there. It went went underwater at, at the wall. There was arches down below the water, but it was impenetrable. And the city was just massive. Now, fast forward 70 years and we're caught up to where we are now in our history. Belshazzar is now the, the ruler in Babylon, he's Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, and a man that we were introduced last time, his name was Cyrus, is now, the, the Medes and the Persians are starting to take over the world and conquering the world, and Babylon is, is, is in its path, and they come to set a siege for Babylon. But the people are almost like mocking Cyrus, saying, what are you going to do? There's no way that you can get in here. And we have enough water. The river runs right through here. We have enough water. We have enough supplies to last over 20 years. They had, obviously, crops. They had all of this. This is a massive fortified city, one like, again, the world had never seen. So they're scoffing at them. But Cyrus and his people, they found the old riverbed of the Euphrates River. So he sent a team to dig up the old riverbed to, so that the water could flow again through the old path of the Euphrates River and built a dam across the new route. They, hadn't, they didn't finish it up completely yet. This is outside of the site. And then they left so that the people within the city would think that they were retreating. Well, that particular evening, and this is recorded for us, and again, Daniel chapter 5, uh, this piece of it, they, they throw a big party. Belshazzar throws this huge party. He even orders that some of the, the utensils that were used, the, the drinking vessels and that type of stuff that were used in the temple worship in Israel be brought out of the, the holding place, if you would, and they started celebrating with that. In the middle of this drunken festival, you've heard, the story, you've heard the term handwriting on the wall. Ever wonder where that came from? Daniel chapter five. A hand appears and writes on the wall Many and many, many Tekel Eufarsen. That translated, Daniel comes and translates that for him. And bottom line, he tells him, "You have been weighed in the balance, you have been found wanting. You are going to die tonight." And sure enough, after they left, they thought everything was fine around midnight, they finished damming up the Euphrates river, rerouted it, water level almost immediately sinks, they walk right in. On, on water that they said was probably up to their calves as they walk right underneath the wall and into the city and take the city without a fight because the, nobody was expecting it to happen. Well, like I said, a lot of that, because there's a big empty gap in between the Second Chronicles and where we begin tonight, Ezra. But... To kind of pick up where we left off last time and to even piggyback a little bit on what Pastor Patrick discussed last week, guys, the, the word of God that we hold in our hands can be absolutely trusted. He did a great job defending that from the, from the point last, last week, but I want to come again. We looked at this a little bit a couple of weeks ago, but again, from a couple other points tonight. What, may, what separates what we hold in our hand from any other book, not, a, not just that it's the word of God, not just that it's alive and active, but it is one-third prophecy. It speaks of things yet to come. And God, if you would, almost as... I'm sorry, it's two-thirds prophecy. I said one-third, right? Two-thirds. <laughs> he, almost like he's calling his shot a couple of times in it. Like, I am God, and... Anybody want to stack up against me? Let's have a contest. Let's, let's, let's talk about things that are to come. I said it's going to be a Bible study, so turn with me to um, Isaiah chapter 41. Keep your finger here. We are, going to, we are going to get to Ezra. But it's important you see these in, this in your own, your own copies of the word. Isaiah
1: 41, beginning
0: verse 21. The Lord speaking through the prophet Isaiah. Present your case, the Lord says. Bring forward your strong arguments, the king of Jacob says. Let them bring forth and declare to us what is going to take place. You tell us what's going to happen. As for the former events, declare what they are. That we may consider them and know their outcome. Or announce to us what is coming. Declare the things that are going to come afterward, that we may know that you are God's. Indeed, do, do good or evil, that we may anxiously look about us in fear together. Behold, you are of no account, and your works amount to nothing. He who chooses you is an abomination. Look ahead, chapter 42, verse 8. God says, I am the Lord. What, that is my name. I will give my glory to no other, nor my praise to graven images. Behold. The former things have come to pass. Now I declare new things. Before they spring forth, I proclaim them to you. Uh, turn ahead to for chapter 44. Verse 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last, and there is no God besides me. Who is like me? Let him proclaim and declare it. Yes, let him recount it to me in order from the time that I established the ancient nations and let them, note again, declare to them the things that are coming and the events that are going to take place. One last one, chapter 46, beginning in verse nine. Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, and note, and from ancient times the things which have not been done, saying, My purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my purpose from a far country, truly I have spoken, truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it, surely I will. I will do it. And I, I read that kind of in that order because, again, God just seems to be building this theme. Again, all of these other things, all of the other gods, and the, only, our, the God of ourselves, we somehow think that we, we can take control. God says, there's no one like me. I know the end from the beginning. I'll tell you how it all began, and he did. But beyond that, he keeps saying, I will tell you what will come to pass. and we looked at. We're going to look at a couple that we looked at our before, prior to. But turn, turn with me to Jeremiah chapter fifty one.
1: Jeremiah fifty one.
0: Verse eleven. Sharpen the arrows fill the quivers. The Lord has aroused the spirit of the king of the Medes because his purpose is against Babylon to destroy it for his vengeance, for it is the vengeance of the Lord, vengeance for his temple. This takes place at the beginning of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. He's saying because Nebuchadnezzar wiped out the temple and took the final ones there, he said, I'm going to use the Medes to wipe out the Babylonians. This is before the Medes have come to power. He calls calls it out there. Verse 24, I will repay Babylon. Verse 28, consecrate the nations against her, the king of the Medes, their governors, their prefects, their, their own lands. Verse 29, here we go. To make the land of Babylon a desolation without inhabitants. That's important. Make Babylon a desolation without inhabitants. Remember what that city looked like. He's saying it's going to be completely wiped out. Nobody's going to live in it. Now, that, that would be pretty cool enough if that happened. But there's a possibility, Jeremiah, he's living in the time. Maybe he heard rumors. The Medes are kind of coming on, okay? Maybe. Just saying. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 13.
1: Isaiah chapter 13. That is one of the past, a pastor's favorite sounds to hear, is pages of Bibles turning. Okay, Isaiah
0: chapter 13. All right, now, this is 100 years before Babylon came to power and over 170 years before the, the, the events that we just read about Cyrus taking over. Verse 17, chapter 13, 100 years before Babylon is power. Behold, I am going to stir up the Medes against them who will not value silver or take pleasure in their gold, and their bows will mow down the young men, uh, skip down. Verse 20, it will never be inhabited or lived in from generation to generation. That is calling Babylon that it's going to be wiped out before Babylon becomes Babylon. We saw what historians take a look. That's what Babylon became. Here's a picture of Babylon today.
1: Another picture. Yeah, I think we have
0: a couple. Yeah. See the walls in the background? Saddam Hussein built those. Up until that point. All of it was either buried or looked just like the ruins. No one has lived in the old city of Babylon since the third century. It's been completely uninhabited. Again, God calling his shot. (laughs) Before Babylon came to power, he said, I'm going to use the Medes. Isaiah probably, the Medes, who are they? I'm going to use them.
1: We looked at this last time. Turn to Isaiah 44, verse 28.
0: We talked about Daniel. It tells us in Daniel chapter 9 that he was was reading through the prophecies of Jeremiah, and it came about that it said it was going to be 70 years that they were going to be in exile. He did the quick math and realized hey, we're at that point. Isaiah 44 beginning in verse, let's start at 20, let's do 25, causing, or 26, confirming the word of the Lord, his servant, and performing the purposes of his messengers. It is I who says of Jerusalem, she shall be inhabited, and of the cities of Judah, they shall be built, and I will raise up her ruins again. It is I who says to the depths of the sea, be dried up, and I will make your rivers dry. It is I who said of Cyrus, He is my shepherd and he will perform all my desire. And he declares of Jerusalem, she will be built and of the temple your foundation will be laid. Thus says the Lord to Cyrus, his anointed, whom I have taken by the right hand to subdue nations before him and to loose the loins of kings, to open doors before him so the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the rough places smooth. I will shatter the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden wealth and secret places so that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name. Verse 4 again, called you by your name, though you have not known me. We mentioned this last line, but just in case you forgot, this was written 150 years before Cyrus was born. God calls him by name. And so you can imagine now, here we come, Daniel comes in, he makes this prophecy to, to the king saying, tonight you've been found wanting, tonight you're going to die, that night. The river Euphrates gets rerouted, the water goes down, Cyrus and all of his army comes walking in, takes the city, comes walking in, and Daniel's standing there going, "Cyrus, I've been waiting for you. I got something I got to show
1: you." It's not Josephus tells us that
0: Daniel showed Cyrus the prophecy. One last prophecy before we get into, <laughs> into Ezra, Jeremiah 29. We looked at this again last time, but again, so important. Jeremiah 29, verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place, to bring you back to Jerusalem. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. Again, God telling, saying, 70 years. You're going to be there 70 years. I won't forget you. I have plans for you. It's not to destroy you. It's actually plans to bring you back. Plans to prosper you. So it kind of brings us up to speed where we are. But I, it's so important that we see this. Again, last week, again, I thought, again, Pat, Patrick did such a great job. But guys, the prophecies of the Bible, so many are yet to be fulfilled. But every one of the old ones, the Old Testament, there's not a single one that can be pointed to that says that didn't happen. Every one of them fulfilled. And with that type of accuracy. And all the ones that are still yet to come. We can can trust the Lord. We can lean on him. Well, as we move now to Ezra, we fast forward now 70 years from the captivity time. This has taken place now. Cyrus has come into Babylon. The book of Ezra, as it is broken down, We'll look at, uh, when we get to chapters 1 through 6, we won't probably get all the way through that tonight, but uh, we look at a man who leads a group of Jews, the initial group, to go back. They, They were deported in three groups. We'll see they will go back in three groups. This first group, led by a man named Zerubbabel, he goes back with the first group to rebuild the temple. Cyrus sends him back. And they go back to rebuild the temple. Then in verse seven, or chapter seven through 10, we're introduced to a man named Ezra, the author, the one who also probably wrote first and Second Chronicles. Um, and we will see that there's some reforms that come then, and they come back and they start coming into the city. Then after Ezra comes Nehemiah, who comes, and if you're familiar with that, they rebuild the wall and they start to rebuild the city. Now, between. Uh Zerubbabel and Ezra, there is a 57-year period of time from which the, the story of Esther takes place. A little out of order, like I said, and we'll get, it, get to it as we move through there. But just chronologically, that's how it moves through. And that's how we'll see it as we go through chapters 1 through 6, that initial wave going back to rebuild the temple. And then chapters 7 through 10, Ezra with the next wave that goes. And then when we get into Nehemiah, that third wave that comes in. So. Chapter 1, Ezra, verse 1, same as we mentioned last time, the last couple of verses in 2 Chronicles finishes the same way. Now in the first year of King Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah that we just looked at, Jeremiah 29.10, after 70 years, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he sent a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in in Judah. So we see, no doubt, as Daniel shows him this prophecy that was written about him all of these years before, he understands that all that he has is by the hand of Almighty God. Now, Unfortunately, he doesn't become a follower of Almighty God. There's plenty of external records that show that he worshiped all types of gods, but he gives special position to Yahweh God because of what he sees here. And God even uses a man who does not follow after him to bless his people by sending them back and not only just sending them, we'll get to it in a moment, sending them back well-equipped. Moreover, there is among you of all his people May his God be with him. So all of you that are there, all of his people that are here, all of the Jewish people that are in Babylon and, and under my rule, may his God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. Every survivor, at whatever place he may live, let the men of that place support him with silver and gold, with goods and cattle, together with a freewill offering for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. So he gives the decree, sends them back. You're free to go back. Verse 5 says, the, Then the heads of the house, father's household of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites arose. Even everyone, note, whose spirit God had stirred, to go up and rebuild the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. So we see the Spirit of God moving and stirring in the heart of Cyrus to send. We see the Spirit of God moving and stirring within the hearts of some of the people, not all. As a matter of fact, a very small percentage initially. But stirring within their hearts to go. And I think it's important understanding that. There are several pieces involved in people going. There are those that send. There are people. There are those that go, and that there there are those that we will see in the next verse, verse six. All those about them encouraged them with articles of silver or of gold. There are those that encourage. That there are those that support. And I do think that it's important to that when you are to go. This is not an easy thing. This was not a a vacation. This wasn't going to Disneyland. <laughs> This wasn't even going to say like we would say, hey, let's, let's take a trip to Israel. Somebody's going to pay for us all to go to Israel. We'd all be like, yeah, right on. It's not like that. Remember, it is wiped out. There's nothing left. The streets have been destroyed. All the infrastructure's destroyed. The temple's destroyed. It's not like they're going back to, to everything all set up great. So it's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. And it says, those that the Spirit of God stirred, those that God called, they went. And a calling to do something like that is extremely important. Those that are called to go out into the mission field, it is a calling. We're blessed to be able to be a part that has sent some. We're able to also be blessed to be a part of many others that we support as a church. we Tony and, and Melissa up in Logan, Utah. We were blessed to be able to send them and to continue to support them and to pray for them. I talked to Tony this morning and, and uh, a lot going on there. I asked him to send us a little update so that we could put it up and bring a little video uh, update. But just keep praying for them, blessing for them. Uh, been able to stay in regular contact. Got an email again earlier this week from, from Terry uh, Siri. He and Cindy and, and Levi in, in New Guinea. Missionaries, again, that we're supporting there, very much called to go and be a part of that and to do that and answering that call. Now, you can't just say, you know what, I'm gonna go do that. Um, Katie Smith, another one, another missionary, the Philippines that we're supporting. She's actually back here um, for a little bit. She's gonna be coming by um, later on in the month and sharing with us uh, what God is doing with her. And as a little bonus for you Wednesday-nighters, Uh, We met with an amazing couple a few weeks ago, and last night as elders, we voted to support them as a church. Um, Their names, uh, Kyle and Krista, um, and their sons are Aidan and Liam. Their last name is Fox. Um, They have been missionaries down in Brazil um, under the covering of another ministry as they went down. And... Uh, while they've been there, she has felt God so laying it on her heart and confirmed with her husband to come alongside the trafficked boys and girls, sexually trafficked boys and girls that are there. And it's an un- unbelievably horrific trade that is going on there and feeling so called to come alongside them. Well, they're covering organization as they were starting to bring these people that they were leading to the Lord and rescuing off the street says, you can't bring them here. It's not safe um, because of the, their, the what they're bringing them out of. And they told, they said, we respect that. That is that you know you're called to do this. We you know we're under your covering. So they, they worked through the remainder of their commitment with this organization, but now have taken a step of faith to step out on their own. He's going to be starting. He's going to be pastoring his own, a, a new Calvary Chapel plant down there, as well as reaching out into this community. So. We met with them and just the Lord totally confirmed with all of us that we're coming alongside them as a part of this to be praying for them, the Fox family, and we're going to have a lot more information we'll be bringing to the church um, as a whole. But like I said, you Wednesday nighters are special. I'll give you a little leak to um, be praying for them. But again the calling that is placed on them. I think I think a lot of the people that don't go back. I you know even reading some commentaries talking about how, how so few went and how, how what a shame it was that so few went back initially. Well it says though everyone everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up to go up and rebuild so the ones that got they, they answered the call. I think that's awesome. Everyone who God stirred in their heart, they went. But notice also, then again, verse 6, all those about them encouraged them with articles of silver, with gold, with goods, with cattle, with, vo- with valuables, aside from all that was given as a free will offering. Some had to st- finance the operation, sending back and encouraging them. They all couldn't go back. They're, they couldn't support them at that point. God laid the calling on them. They, those that were called answered it. The rest then supported it. Um, it wasn't, again, like... Israel, when we talked about this, the northern tribes, when Assyria took them out, they brought in others, non-Jews brought them in to the area. So it was a populated area. They're going back to a totally desolated, wiped out area. The Babylonians didn't send anybody back in there. This is just, like I said, very much a calling. They respond. Verse 7, also King Cyrus brought out the articles of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and put in the house of his gods. And Cyrus, king of Persia, had them brought out, and by the hand of Mithridath, the treasurer, and he counted them out to Shesbazar, the prince of Judah. Now, Shesbazar, as we're going to see in a little bit, is the is the Babylonian name of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, his Jewish name, Shesbazar, his Babylonian name. And here we see again, and obviously has to be the hand of God doing this. Here we have this new king comes into Babylon. One of his first things he does is says, all right, all of you Jewish people, you can go back home. And oh, by the way, open up the treasury. Give them all their stuff back. Give them all their gold, all their silver back. I mean, who does that? Except somebody again that God has moved on their heart. And we see again, God moving in a way that is indescribable other than he's the king of kings and lord of lords and he's the one, the sovereign king over everything else. It lays out for us the, the articles that they take back. Now this was their number, 30 gold dishes, 1,000 silver dishes, 29 duplicates. That's an interesting Hebrew word that's translated there. Some translations have knives. Some translation have censors. Um, interesting though, 29, 29 knives. <laughs> they took a very detailed inventory of what they were taking back with them. 30 gold bowls, 410 silver bowls of a second kind, different than the other ones listed in verse 9, 1,000 other articles. Now we see in this nothing mentioned of the altar of incense, the table of showbread, the golden lampstand, none of those things mentioned. The ark is not mentioned. All of those things, never mentioned it, They will make duplicates of everything else except the Ark into the new temple. But all of the originals lost to history. Um, the last mention that we have of the Ark is back in chapter 35 of 2 Chronicles. We saw it there. But it's never mentioned again until Revelation chapter uh, 11, verse 19, where it's seen in the scene in heaven. But it's never mentioned again. History. Tells us the Bible doesn't say. History might indicates that Jer- Jeremiah perhaps took it and hid it. More than likely, the Babylonians, when they came in, took it. Uh, I I know there's a lot of people holding out hope that you know we're gonna we'll get to see the Ark again or whatever. I it, guys, here's the truth of the whole thing. It's a wooden box covered in gold. That's all it is. You know, it's a, a the. We, we saw, going if you were with us, all the way back in First Samuel, I mean, they, when the Jews tried to treat it like a good luck charm. Hey, just, all we need is this box and we can go out. And it, <laughs> the Philistines wiped them out and stole it. And, you know, again, it's, <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's a symbol. We've talked about the, the, the symbolic piece of that. You know, again, don't, I, I would just tell you, don't hold your breath. We'll see it in heaven, though, tells us. Uh, verse 11, we're going to have to really hurry up. All the articles of gold and silver numbered 5,400. Shesbazar brought them all up with the exiles who went up from Babylon to Jerusalem. Again, can you imagine that trip as they're, as they're walking along? Again, no doubt Daniel was tell- had told them all after this had all taken place. Again, God said this was going to happen, guys. Look at it, you know, Jeremiah 29, 10, look. And going up, and here it is. God, again, once again, proves that he's faithful. Chapter 2. Now these are the people of the providence who came up out of the captivity of the exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away to Babylon, and returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his city. These came with, here's Zerubbabel, now using his Jewish name, Jeshua Nehemiah. Name sound
1: familiar? Not the same Nehemiah. The same name.
0: Sariah, Realiah, Mordecai. Name sound familiar? Not the same Mordecai. Not from Esther. Bill Shan, Bigviah, Par, Big Rehum, and Banana. That, <laughs> Bana.
1: <laughs>
0: ba, Ba'a ba, Ba'ana.
1: Ba'ana. Hmm. Now
0: <laughs> I will save you the torture of going through the next fifty some odd verses of all of the names. I've I've shared this with you before though. Here's the secret. If you want to read through the names out loud to your family later or whatever, do it quickly and confidently. They won't know. <laughs> but I, I think a couple of things real quickly as we do this, because it, I, the, the names are important. They are. I want to encourage you, just even if you're going to read through it, just, just in your own. And I'll, I'll touch on that in a moment. But just to set the idea of the mood here, again, Bible study, Psalm 137.
1: I don't hear any pages. Psalm 137.
0: <laughs> the mood... It, I just, I just imagine, again, trying to paint the picture of what's going on as they're traveling now from Babylon back to Jerusalem. It says in Psalm 137, this is when they're in, ca- they're in captivity. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion, when we remembered Jerusalem. Upon the willows, in the midst of it, we hung our harps. We put up our instruments. For there our captors demanded of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget her skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not extol Jerusalem I'll above my teeth. That's 70 years worth of that lamenting. Now turn back to Psalm 126. a couple of pages back. Psalm 126,
1: when the Lord brought back the captive ones
0: of Zion, we were like those who dream. When our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with joyful shouting, then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our captivity, O Lord. As the streams in the south, those who sow in tears shall reap with joyful shouting. He who goes to and fro weeping, carrying his bag of seed, shall indeed come again with a shout of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Again, how when God in his faithfulness restores what is broken, that, that, that... extending the hand of grace again to them. They didn't deserve this. <laughs> but God in his grace and in his mercy, restoring them. And I couldn't help but think as I was reading those again, restoring, thinking of a couple other psalms as David, as David wrote them. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away, though my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy on me. I acknowledged my sin before you and my iniquity I did not hide. You forgave me the guilt of my sin. And then when he was talking to you in Psalm 51, restore to me the joy of my salvation. He He didn't lose his salvation, but he lost his joy because he had fallen away, because he was not following after God. He says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. And if you're here tonight and you don't have that joy, you've lost that joy, and you know it's because there's an area in your life or your life as a whole has just has turned away, has gone, has gone a different direction from where it's supposed to. And God has you in a time where his hand is heavy on you because he loves you. It's simply a matter of turning to him, repenting. And you too today, tonight, can have the joy of your salvation restored. You can go from weeping, from mourning, from not being able to sing, to sing, singing these songs of joy as the Lord again restores to them and, re- and brings them back to that place. Well, one couple of last things here. My goodness, I thought we'd, have, we'd get into chapter 3. Um, verse 23, I, I just think it's interesting here just to note. It says, verse 23, the men of Anathos... 128. A couple of things interesting in that is you'll notice these, the numbers that go through here. 128. Not 127. Not rounded up to 150. 128. I mean, we're talking exact numbers. God has exact details of those who respond to his call in faith. Stepping out in faith. Right down to the very details. But interesting, and again, I'll have you read this on your own. I won't turn there. I don't, we don't have time. Jeremiah 32. As they are being besieged, the city is being surrounded by Nebuchadnezzar. He's had enough. He's coming in to, to, take them, to take the last group out. They're surrounding the city. Jeremiah 32, it tells us that Jeremiah buys a plot of land because God told him to. Go out and buy a plot of land. <laughs> You're about to be taken off into captivity, but go out and buy some land. And because he was obedient and he trusted the Lord, when his descendants return back, 128 of them, 129, the men of Anathoth, well, 128, men of Anathoth, they return. There's a plot of land with their name on it. His descendants are blessed because he was obedient, because he trusted the Lord. And don't ever discount the, the long-reaching effects of you being obedient to God and trusting God even when it doesn't make sense. But you say, okay, God, if that's what you're calling me to do, I will trust you. I will be obedient. I, can't, I couldn't help again thinking of, through this of the, again, the Siri family. Be praying for them. But responding in faith, them, and taking their, little, their boy over there, Levi, who's going to be a junior in high school this year in Papua New Guinea, the blessing that their step of obedient and trusting God is going to have on him going forward, in his life going forward? I can't imagine. And again, the, the long-reaching effects of Jeremiah's obedience and faith. Well, as I mentioned, please read through that, um, th- this, this list of names. Um, it, can, it could seem tedious, but not if your name was in there. If your family name was in there somewhere you'd be like going, okay where is it where is it where is it where is it oh there it is there it is 52 52 of them
1: and i says born again believers our name isn't a list it's in the lamb's book of life
0: and i can tell you what if we get to look through that we're going to be like okay b b b b bergstrom bergstrom
1: there it is right there right there So give
0: it a look through. 4,960, or I'm sorry, 49,000 if we add together verses 64 and 65, 49,697. Again, the exact number doesn't round it off to approximately 50,000. Horses, 736 horses. I mean, there were detailed stuff God keeps track of. 68, verse 68, some of the heads of the fathers of the household when they arrived at the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem, offered willingly for the house of the God to restore its foundation according to their ability. And just a quick note, when we're given to the work of the Lord and he lays it on our heart, those two things, willingly, according to our ability, as God lays it on your heart. Those people say, well, should I tithe net or should I tithe growth? Should I do this? Should I do that? You know what? That's between you and the Lord. Do it willingly, do it cheerfully, do it according to your ability. Do it as God leads and guides you. And you'll, I, I can promise you one thing, you'll never miss it. Uh, let's see. According to they gave to the treasury, 61,000 drachmas, 5,000 silver minas, 100 priestly garments. Now the priests and the Levites, some of the people and the singers, the gatekeepers, the temple service, servants lived in their cities, all Jerusalem in their cities. So here we see the first wave. 49,697 of them come back, settle into their cities. We're going to see as we get into chapter 3, they come together, start building the temple. One last little bit of trivia I thought was kind of cool. In 1951, 1952, Operation Ezra and Nehemiah brought 130,000 Jews from Iraq, modern-day Babylon, Israel. The city Babylon, totally desolate, but Iraq is where, where Babylon is today, modern day. It's in, in Iraq. Thought that was kind of cool. They called it Operation Ezra and Nehemiah as they brought 130,000 Jews from Iraq and settled them into the new nation of Israel. So just a little cool piece of free information for you as we close out tonight. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for your word and Lord, the, <laughs> your faithfulness that you demonstrate through it. Again, Lord, I am, and I know we all are, collectively just blown away by the fact that these prophecies that you made, and you say, you are God and there is none other, and you prove it again and again, because you are outside of time. You are the beginning and the end. and Lord, we can trust you. Lord, I pray that as we study these these things in your word, that our faith, our trust grows, that we know that if you call us to do something that we say, that's that, that's beyond me, that's difficult, That's that I can't do that, Lord, we can step out in faith trusting you. None of these 49,000 some odd men and women could do what you called them to do outside of your power, outside of outside of your grace, outside of your mercy, outside of your provision and protection. And they stepped out in faith and were blessed. So Lord, as you call us, even in our own walks of faith, Lord, that we would step out in faith, trusting you. Lord, if if there's anyone here tonight, you've wandered away from the Lord, you've turned away from the Lord, you can have the joy restored tonight simply by repenting and turning back to him. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your faithfulness in that. Go before us the rest of this week, Lord. Bless our step. Use us for your good purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Keep reading ahead. We'll see you next time. God bless you.